Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Mid-Major Madness podcast. I am Russ Steinberg. We are joined tonight by my co-editor, Greg Mitchell, and also the famous, the world-famous Chris Schutte, who always calls in and has some great, terrible opinions for us. So they're both on. We're going to talk some mid-major basketball, of course, because that is what we do. And then we're going to play a previous recorded interview with the head coach of New Mexico State, that is Paul Weir. Uh, Caught up with him a little bit earlier in the week to talk about his team um, and the 21-2 and start that they are off to. But first, I guess we should start with the number one team in the country, new this week, the undefeated Gonzaga Bulldogs. And I could sit here and just talk about them for a while, or I could wait for one of you to interject and tell me how they're overrated. So how about someone tells me that they're overrated? You're not getting it from me. (laughs) That's good to hear. Um, Gonzaga, again, 22-0. I was sitting in uh, my living room last night watching, I think it was the Kansas-Baylor game. Yeah, because it's two versus three, and my roommate came in, uh, asked who number one was, and I said, Gonzaga. And I could not convince him that they were deserving of that ranking, Um, no matter what I said, because they are the Bulldogs, and that is just a lack of respect um, that they get. But is it it warranted this year? Are, Are they really the best team in the country? Well, I think it's certainly with what, um, you know, the two wins that Kansas has had over the last week, um, that's an interesting a contrast and it kind of just kind of adds another kind of a dimension to this uh, debate because, yes, they, you win at Rupp Arena and then you uh, come back a few days later and beat a, uh, Baylor at home. That's, you know, it's almost a couple of games you'd see at the Final Four, right? So, yes, they've – They've earned, like they've done really well, and Gonzaga cannot, you know, they beat Arizona. That was a nice win. Um, I know they beat Iowa State, and they, you know, they, they've beaten every Power Five team that they played, but they haven't proved it like that. But I, I, you know, they're, you know, they're defending this year way better than they have, you know, under Mark Few, and that that's kind of a new thing, and it's just just hard to it's hard to say that that they're not worthy. I don't know. I guess that's that's not a very eloquent way of saying it, but they haven't done anything this year to suggest that they should not be number one, despite what everybody else has done. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I have their Ken Palm page open in front of me, and, like, my eyes hurt from all of the bright green uh, on this page <laughs> showing that they lead the country or – in the top 10 or 15 in the country in so many different categories. Fourth best uh, defensive efficiency, seventh best offensive efficiency, leading the nation in effective field goal percentage defense, uh, sixth in three-point percentage defense, third in two-point percentage defense. I mean, the, the list goes on and on. By every available metric 
if Gonzaga isn't the best team in the country, they're one of them. Um, and at this point, you know, they haven't lost. But they've done absolutely everything they can uh, to earn that ranking. Yeah, I mean, it's a team Good. that is stuffed with guys that, that at one point, you know, you know, you have a Jordan a Matthews who played at a Cal. You have a Jonathan a Williams who played at Mizzou. That's not a resounding endorsement right now, but you know, it's still <laughs> it's still high major. Nigel Williams, uh, a Nigel Williams, a Goss. You know, if and if you, so, if you want to, if you're talking about the eye test, you know, it's a team that has uh, you know a multiple uh, McDonald's All Americans on it. Um, and I don't, without you know Gonzaga's history in front of me, I I can't imagine that that's been the case for any other Gonzaga team. So even those that would say, well, they don't, you know, they can't match up uh, talent-wise, that that's not that's not an easy argument uh, to make. Yeah, they, they they have high major talent because they have transfers and McDonald's All Americans on the team. So you you're right, you, you can't say. And then. You know, you look at who, who have they beaten. Well, they beat San Diego State, who granted not great. They beat Florida. They beat Iowa State. They beat Arizona. They beat Tennessee. They beat Washington. I mean, they beat power. They beat real programs here. They have, let's see, three, four, five uh, Ken Palm Tier A wins and a Tier B win. Uh, so there's just no argument you can make saying that they are overrated. That's that doesn't mean they're going to go to the Final Four. doesn't mean they're going to win the national championship. Who knows? It's a single elimination tournament. Anything can happen. But there's no logical argument you can make right now to say they're not deserving of the top spot. Come on, Chris. you got to make the argument. You have to do it. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're here for your bad opinions, and you're going to let us down if you don't make that argument. Uh, in the upset of the decade, I actually don't have a bad opinion on this. Um, you guys <laughs> both touched on things that I'm going to agree with. Greg said they passed the eye test. They absolutely do. Russ, you brought up all the, the Ken Palm metrics. They absolutely passed that test. And the thing about that I hate about polls and people getting worked up, particularly about Gonzaga being ranked number one, does it even really matter? Like, in the grand no. scheme of things, it's just a talking point for people to get worked up about and kind of gauge where everybody's at in the season. But, I mean, by all stretch of the imagination, Gonzaga is absolutely deserving of being the number one team in the country. And, you know, maybe if all these people that are complaining about them being number one would actually, like, you know, stay up and watch them, um, I think they might realize that, hey, Gonzaga is actually really good. Yeah, it's it's funny that you mentioned that because right before we went on, I uh, sent Will, our West Coast Conference writer, a Slack message and asked him to handle the Twitter account during Gonzaga's game tonight because I will be sleeping because it starts at 11 <laughs> o'clock Eastern. But they are yeah, playing at BYU, and that's a big game. Yeah, I'm going to try that? and stay up for that. I'm just saying I'm going to try and stay up for that or at least catch the first half, see if uh... – BYU can at least make a little bit of a game of it, maybe get hot from three and keep things close. Yeah, I mean, it's possible. BYU, probably the third best team in that conference, although I think Will has been trying to make the argument for Santa Clara there. But maybe this is a good 
segue for us because I think at the beginning of the season, we were looking at BYU as a team that should be a mid-major at-large candidate this year. Um, has not worked out for them, to say the least. They are, let's see, 16-7, and 7-3 seven, seven in conference losses to San Diego, Santa Clara, and ugly one against Utah Valley back in November. So their at-large hopes are off the table. And overall, if you look across the mid-major landscape, there aren't too many at-large bids uh, right now, at least that's what it looks like. No, and I mean, I if certain teams win their conference tournaments, I, I really think you could be looking at a situation where at most, maybe three mid-major at large, and I think that'd be super optimistic. Uh, what do you guys think? Um, Chris, do you have a, a bad opinion while I try to put my list together? <laughs> uh, I, I'm trying to think of teams off the top of my head. Uh, I mean, I, I think you'd get the one team that does – you'd get the team that does not win the West Coast Conference, so either a Gonzaga yeah. or St. Mary's. And that and that's yeah. yeah the safest and that was something I know when we were talking this morning in Slack Russ I had overlooked, um, and then you go to the A10, and I think PCU and Satan are safe, though I, I'm not so sure on that. Neither one, you know, PCU beat a Middle Tennessee State out of conference, and that was a really nice win, but that was at home. Uh, Dayton, I'd have to, I, I need to look up. I know they they had that loss to Northwestern where. Who 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 seems like like you know seems like they're legit this year, but uh, they fell into a big hole in that game and lost. They lost at home to St. Mary's. Um, so Dayton doesn't really. They don't have a signature out of conference win. They did beat um, East uh, Tennessee State, but that was at home. So you know CCU and Dayton. That's more of a you know we know they're good programs um, and they're very good. They're both they're both very uh, good, but they both might be relying on just a really good A10 record. Um, so th- I think they're safe, but I'd, I'd be interested to get your guys' opinion on those two teams. Um, yeah, I, I tend to agree with you, at least right now, um, that they're safe. If they could avoid any more bad losses down the stretch. I mean, VCU had a had that awful one at the buzzer at Fordham. Um, if they could avoid something similar to that, then I think they're in good shape. Um, Dayton, I would say as well, and those two teams actually play each other on March 1st um, in Dayton, and that I would imagine will end up being a huge game. Yeah. Um, yeah. If if you want to go past those two, I think by the end of the season it's possible that Rhode Island. Um, yep. Will have a case. They have a good win over Cincinnati. But with them, it's like they, they can't they, – they've got no margin for error, right? Because I remember um, earlier this week when they beat uh, George Washington, it, it, it was it was like that was a game they had to have, right? And, and you know, yeah. this is just, you know, this is the uh, beginning of February. So, I mean, that's – I totally agree, but that's a – I mean, it's, it's very thin ice they're on. Yeah, so so the the thing with saying that they have no margin for error, by the way, for anyone who's listening, I don't think that means that they need to win out, but it means that no, they need to no. win every game that they should win. Um, and looking at their remaining schedule, 
They have to beat UMass at UMass. They have to beat Fordham at home. Um, have to go beat George Mason on the road. Um, have to beat a uh, depleted St. Joe's team. And then try to um, steal a win against either Dayton or VCU. They have one left against each of them. Um, and I think they would be in a pretty good spot because they do have good out-of-conference wins. Again, Cincinnati's win is looking really good right now. Belmont's a very good team. Old Dominion's good, not great. Um, and they have no real ugly losses either. Um, it looks like their worst loss is to LaSalle. And before VCU broke them, LaSalle was looking pretty good. <laughs> But, yeah, so I don't – it seems like outside of those two leagues, the, the only other chance you would have is in the Missouri Valley. But Wichita State – Is there really a chance there? I don't – I, I don't think yeah. so. I, I, I don't think so. I mean, with with Wichita, you like you wonder if the name value – if they're almost like right. a power – they're almost like a power five now because of that. But they – I remember when they beat Oklahoma – that was like the big statement, right? At that time, um, right? Oklahoma State is right now. Yeah, they're not good, and then they got hammered by Oklahoma State in Wichita. Um, I don't believe that was a home game, but it was in their arena. But it was in Wichita, so they just yeah, they're very good. They're very very good, and but I just don't. I, again, that's another thing I'd, I'd be interested to get your guys' opinions on because I I don't think they have a they have a case. I don't think we can even we can even talk about Illinois State. I, I don't. They're very good too, but I don't I don't think they have the profile either. Um, yeah. I mean, the, the problem is is they're both going to end up with very good records. Um, and it looked like they both tried to schedule well in the non-conference. Um, and just for Wichita especially, it just didn't work out. I mean, Tulsa's not awful, but that, you know, 27-point win over them doesn't really move the needle. LSU's terrible. Colorado State, okay, but they're not a tournament team unless they win the Mountain West. Oklahoma's bad. Lost to Oklahoma State. I mean, they've got nothing that you could really point to. Whereas, like, a Rhode Island does with that win over Cincinnati. Um, and then Illinois State helps that they're unbeaten in conference. I mean, that should definitely count for something. But, you know, the, their resume is just as sketchy. I mean, St. Joseph's, yeah, they're okay. New Mexico, same thing. And then really nothing else unless you count their win over Wichita State. Uh, and then it's always hard when you're comparing resumes between conference teams to – judge when their best wins are against each other. It gets kind of difficult to really judge there. But, you know, you you have to find 68 teams somehow. So, you know, you, you never know if, they, if either one of those schools finishes strong. And yeah, I guess it's, it's going to be even harder now for Illinois State now that Mikhail McIntosh has gone down. Yeah, that that hurts them a lot. So outside of those, I, I believe we just talked about – Seven schools, uh, two from the from the West Coast Conference, uh, two from the NBC, and three from the A10. Um, I've got uh, one do more. Do you guys that think, I think that there's? Okay, I was, I was going to say, is there? Are there any other schools you think you guys think have a have a chance? I've got one in mind. 
Chris, I'm wondering if you do. We might be the same one. Uh, thinking maybe Akron, if they were to maybe run the table in, um, in the MAC, um, they don't have a whole lot of hmm. good wins, though. Um, yeah, I, I, I keep I looking, Russ. What do you have? So if Akron will end up with a really good record, but yeah, I, I think they would be on the outside looking in. My thought, maybe they would be able to make the case for it, is Middle Tennessee. If mm. they that would have that would have been the other one. I was they finished strong. Um, you know, again, nothing that screams out to you in terms of good wins, but they beat the UNC Wilmington team that's pretty good. They won at Ole Miss. They beat Belmont. They beat Vanderbilt. Those aren't, you know, the name brand second weekend NCAA tournament teams that, you know, ideally you would want to be able to point to as, you know, when you're making your case. But those are still pretty strong teams, and you have to hope that the people on the NCAA selection committee will see that, um, even if they're not named like Duke or North Carolina or something. Um, and I don't know how much stock the committee even unintentionally puts into, um, you know, name brand programs when they're judging uh, quality of wins. It's something they would never tell you that they do, but you, you always kind of have to wonder, you know, does a win over UNC Wilmington, which looks great on paper, really mm-hmm. move the needle at all? I don't know. That's a great. That's a great point. And I guess I don't know if there's any kind of subconscious bias in their favor for what they did last year, that if we put this team in, it's not going to look like a huge mistake because they probably aren't going to disappoint because we've already seen them there and they had success last year. I don't know. Again, that's something that they would never admit, and I don't even know if that happens, but that's something that could potentially be in their favor in a small way. It could, or or they could look at them and say, well, they were a 15 seed last year. How do you go from being a 15 seed to an at-large? Um, yeah, that's a great point. The answer that's is winning point. all your games. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then I guess in, because Richmond um, has played well, I thought we'd mention them real quick. Um, they, you know, 6-6 six and six out of conference, a loss to Oral Roberts. I, I don't – they played well in conference, um, but I don't – I don't see them as an at-large potential. Do you guys agree with that? Um, I I do, unless they win out, because they do have game against VCU still on the schedule, games at LaSalle, GW, home against Davidson. If they can win out and maybe win a couple games in the A-10, I'd be willing to revisit the possibility. Um, but right now, no, it, it looks like they just squandered too many chances uh, in the non-conference. I mean, even if they had won one of uh, Maryland, Wake Forest, Texas Tech, if they had even won one of those games, I'd, you might be able to talk me into it. Um, but as, as of now, I don't think so. Yeah. And, again, that's not to say that just because we're saying that these teams are not at large potential that we don't think that they're – really good because I think all these things we talked about are very good and are more than capable if they were in the tournament of winning a game. It's just the reality of the situation. Yeah. Um, it's tough. It, it's, it's always tough to make that clear because 
and we, we mentioned this on our last podcast, that looking at the Atlantic 10 specifically, they probably have half a dozen teams that are what you would think of as NCAA tournament quality that just won't have the resume. Um, I think Richmond is one of those teams. Rhode Island might be. We talked about them. Um, St. Bonaventure might be. Uh, and then you have uh, Dayton VCU. Uh, we thought maybe LaSalle or maybe Davidson hasn't really worked out that way. But it's, there are a bunch of, I guess you could say, second weekend NIT teams in that conference. Yeah. It kind of sucks that a team like, say, Virginia Tech, that will finish eighth or ninth in the ACC will get a bid, but say Rhode Island doesn't get in. Is Rhode Island really a right. worse team than Virginia Tech? Probably not, but Virginia Tech has more opportunities. I mean, if you beat beating Duke and beating Syracuse, although Syracuse isn't any good, but just having all those opportunities is just, like you said, it's the nature of the situation. Yeah, and, and it's always tough as a mid-major to try to counteract that because you, you could do it by trying to schedule aggressively, but then you could be in the situation like Wichita State is in where, you know, the, the power programs that you schedule end up not being very good, like Oklahoma. Or you could be in the situation that Richmond is in where, you schedule those teams early before you've really hit your stride, and then you lose those games, and they don't do any good for you. Um, so it's it's, mm-hmm. so, it's so much easier said than done to put together a quality non-conference schedule capable of getting those quality wins um, if you're a mid-major. But uh, while we were actually on the topic of the – um, Atlantic 10 and teams that might be good enough to get in might not be. Um, wanted to bring one thing up quickly because I remember the three of us were talking, I don't remember what it was, maybe November or December, um, about coaches on the hot seat. And I wanted to just stop right here for a second and toot my own horn um, because. I'm cream. <laughs> Say it loud. Not Tom Green, but we can talk about about Indiana basketball tonight. If if you want to, we can go there, but I don't think anybody wants to hear about that. Uh Well, I should should say, Chris, you're an Indiana fan. Greg, you're a Mizzou fan. I'm a UConn fan. We're all having really rough years. Although Indiana... I I would... I, I would not. shudder. To, I would, I would hesitate to put you two in the same the same place I am because that's not a trust me. It's not a place you want to be. Oh, I, I, I yeah, didn't Greg, even... that was embarrassing tonight. <laughs> I'm sorry, but yeah, but it, 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 it doesn't even. Oh, uh, I stopped watching. When I was seventy to thirty nine, and I was surprised I made it that far. Um, it, I, I, I don't know. I need, I need to look it up. But it's, it's, it's to the point again. Like I said, the numbness has said in a long time ago that they've never played well in the, in the five years. I guess it's now they've been going down to Florida. They've never played well there. Um, I don't know that That's they've fun. ever lost by less than twenty five down there. But it's, it, it's still, it's just expected. I know that this is totally off topic, but it's just 
They're not going to win a game in the SEC. Final that's, score. that's not good. <laughs> Final score was 93 to 54. No, that's good. Sorry, did, you, gotta, they kept them, did you just say they're they not kept them under the century mark? No, they're not going to win a game in the SEC. I I, I can't see them would winning a game bucket? in the SEC. Would you say Bucket? Yes, I would. <laughs> oh, speaking of Mr. Bucket himself, I uh, this is actually right on topic. Scrolling my Twitter timeline, Rothstein uh, tweeted, Florida has won its last three games by a combined 106 points, and all three have been on the road. Gators roll at Missouri by 39. One, spells Missouri wrong. And then two, somebody responded, it was a Florida home game tonight. And he goes on <laughs> just recently to correct it, saying Florida won at home. <laughs> oh, well, man. give him credit for correcting that, though. Um, yeah, I mean, because he, he tends to not be to very self aware. Um, but anyway, as, as I was saying before that sad, sad diversion, we were talking about yeah. coaches on the hot seat. And I was struggling to find a good name to throw out there. And I was scrambling on my computer looking for somebody. And I mentioned maybe Derek Kellogg if UMass had a rough year. Fast forward to the last couple of days, and what have our mentions been filled with? UMass fans calling for Derek Kellogg's head. Uh, UMass is 2-8 and eight in the Atlantic 10. They have lost four in a row, including games to Fordham and St. Louis, the two easily worst teams in the A-10. Uh, things are not looking too good for uh, Mr. Kellogg up in Amherst. No, no that's something no, I wrote about. Not really. Yeah. This is something I wrote about this afternoon. The record is a little bit deceiving because in each of their last five losses, they've been right there. Um, four of them are by four points or less. Um, the Rhode Island game was a showcase on a Sunday a few weeks ago, and they were right in that game, and that was right after the Dayton game that they had won in the huge upset. Um, they had some uh, breakdowns at, at, at the end of that loss that um, – they did win the next game against St. Joe's, but you almost wonder had they won that Rhode Island game um, if the season kind of the momentum turns in another way. But, no, they're they're not good. And with – you know, they can return the entire roster next year. Who knows if they will, but they can. Um, he is a program icon. So I, I would have to imagine he's still there next year. But that's, that is, you know, outside of George Washington, which, which has an interim coach, that is the most likely place you'll see a new coach in the A-10 next year. And I, I think it's certainly on the table. I mean, I don't have any inside information. Um, but that's, it's a bad situation there right now. Yeah, and I think you have to give him another year because they can return that entire roster and there is some talent there. Um, because remember, if you fire your coach, your players can transfer without having to sit out a year. And it's very possible that half that team goes I mean, I don't know what their relationship is with Kellogg, but it's possible that you're going to lose some guys um, if you fire him. And, you know, well, why – I don't know if you really want to take that chance when you do have some pretty good freshmen and sophomores on that team. Yeah, that team would be a hot commodity if they were up for grabs all of a sudden, certainly. Yeah. Um. But it was a good call. We are. It was, it was a good call, Russ. It was a good call, Russ. Because You're at that time they were looking okay. 
it was a good call because at that at, when you said that, you know, <laughs> things had not started to turn down. So that's right. It was a good call. Uh, it, it, it was a good call. Chris, you could say that too if you want. Uh, Russ, I'm going to uh, go out on a limb and say that that was only an average call on your part. All right. Well, we are going to have, um, or we are going to play that interview with Paul Weir of New Mexico State in a little bit. But before we do that, uh, Chris, do you want to catch us up on the Summit League? I feel like we don't talk about that very often, and I know that you live in Big Summit League night. country. Yeah. Yeah, it was a great night <laughs> for me. Um, oh, where do I start? Well, standing there, a complete log jam, for one. There's obviously North Dakota State's kind of cut above their only team with two losses, and there's three with four, and then three teams with six, and then obviously only eight teams make it, so there's currently it's Oral Roberts. They're kind of on the outside looking out, but the people don't really will really won't pay attention to the Summit League, but they're, I've written about this in a lot of my like power rankings and stuff. They play fun basketball there. Uh, per Ken Palm, they're still tops in efficiency, effective field goal percentage, three-point shooting, and third in tempo. Um, outside of, I'd say, South Dakota, none of these teams really play any defense. And it's kind of exciting, but defense. yeah, defense is for old people. But yeah, honestly, I I have a hard time doing my rankings each week just because teams beat up on each other, and when everybody has similar records, it's kind of hard to value. Okay, devalue overall resume, eye test, that kind of stuff. Right now, I'd probably say the favorite is still North Dakota State. Um, I've been high on Fort Wayne all year just because of their offensive firepower. And I think oh, in Dark Horse right now, there's – huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no other no other uh, reason related to that. And then <laughs> my, my Dark Horse is Denver. They're second. They're at six and four. And Rodney Bills has had a nice uh, nice first season for them. He's 14 and nine overall, six and four in conference. And I saw them a couple weeks ago when they were at IEPUI. They've got some – they've got some nice players. Who would you say is the player of the year in the season under right now in the summit? Well, well, Greg, if you would have read last week's Summit League power rankings, I went into detail, but <laughs> kidding. Uh, I gave it to North Dakota's Paul Miller Do not because read of tight. Yeah, seriously, Greg, come on. Hey, I edit the Summit League <laughs> rankings like almost every week, and they're great. I love it. Thank you. Um, yeah, I gave it to Paul Miller for North Dakota State. Um, okay because they're, at the time they were 7-1. Uh, realistically and statistically, it's hard to make a case against Mike Dom. His team kind of sucks, but um, based off sheer numbers, he's probably the player of the year. But Paul Miller's kind of the focal point of North Dakota State's offense, and at 7-1, and it was hard to go against them. But... Um, those two, and then I think Daniel Amigo for Denver. He's a junior who's made a huge leap this year. He was only playing a couple minutes per game last year. And I think now he's averaging close to a double-double. And then any one of the three guards for 
Fort Wayne, John Concher, Lowlander, Bryson Scott probably all have a case, and then honestly it'll probably just come down to who finishes where in the standings. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna interrupt you because we we have a mystery caller on the line. So I, oh boy! I want to get to uh, that's been I'm on hold now. for a couple of minutes. What? I'm nervous now. This is this is nerve wracking. Yeah, I am too. I, I never thought anyone anyone listened to this. Uh-huh. But uh, first, in this uh, North New Jersey area code, are you on? Yeah, this is Mark from New Jersey. How you guys doing? Hey, I'm doing well. How are you? Not. I was waiting for you guys to get into the Mac. Um, I was uh, notably oh. wanting to talk about my mama's hawk. Oh yeah. Um, let's, let's eight, talk about eight in, a, eight in a row, four in a row by double digits. Um, second eight game or more win streak of the year, uh, bouncing back after losing three in a row to UNC, Ryder and at St. Peter's. Their only really ugly loss this year is the home loss to Ryder. Um, they get their revenge against St. Peter's tomorrow night. They have eight more regular season games. They're 15 and eight. The RPIs at 58, uh, 18 and five, sorry. Uh, and the RPIs at 58. Um, do you guys have them as, the overwhelming favorite to win the MAC. Um, you know, what do you guys think about the MAC at this point? Thanks. Um, I certainly have them as the overwhelming favorite in the MAC. As it, that's, it's the MAC is not a good conference this year, um, to put it lightly. But Monmouth, I think, has proven itself to be a good team. You mentioned those. Uh, that ugly loss to Ryder, um, that one, and then at St. Peter's right after that kind of killed any chance they would have had at an at-large this year if they um, were to go down that route. So I do think they need to win the MAC tournament. Um, but uh, they are far and away the best team, um, in my opinion. I have, I've had a chance to see a few um, MAC games this year which is not something I normally get to do, even though I live in New York. Uh, I was up at Siena last week, uh, saw them play Iona in what was a fairly, yeah, it was an okay game. Uh, Iona won that one by 11. Iona's not a terrible team. They're okay. They have a couple of interesting transfers in uh, Sam Sam Cassell and John Sevier. Um, I enjoyed watching them, they, but I, I do think Monmouth is the best team. They're experienced. Um, of course, it, you know, I, I love Justin Robinson. Um, I like Micah Seaborn. They're a good team. They have the win at Memphis, uh, beat Princeton at home. Princeton's a team that I think is um, better than people realize. Um, Can I jump and in and yeah, add me one more thing? Yeah. If they had beaten South Carolina, out South Carolina, which they lost on a fluke, full-court lob, alley-oop, jump, scoop shot by Dozier, it was ridiculous, and they lost by one point. If they had won that game, would we be talking about them possibly in the at-large conversation right now? If you take away the Ryder loss, I don't – I mean, if you take away the rider loss, that gives you a win against South Carolina, a win against Memphis on the road. I mean, that starts to 
you definitely start to have an argument there, I think. I just sat there in bewilderment after that shot went in, in disbelief, crushed, thinking they really lost their big opportunity at staying relevant in the at-large discussion that night, which was November 15th. But you just kind of felt it slipped away that night. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I hate trying – you know, I, I hate saying that one point is the difference between absolutely not and, yeah, they have a shot in terms of at-large bids. Um, but you have to be able to point to a game to the selection committee and say, this is why we deserve a bid. Um, you know, that Memphis win at Memphis looks pretty good right now. I think Memphis is better than people thought, but South Carolina was a huge opportunity, um, especially since Syracuse and North Carolina blew them out. Um, and and yeah, Thornwell it's, it's played tough against to get past that. Yeah. And South Carolina is undefeated, I believe, still when Thornwell plays. So that would have been, uh, besides the game against Kentucky, my apologies, but um, they have one, uh, one loss with Thornwell. Uh, he was suspended a few games, um, and he was the difference in the Mammoth game. So it was uh, it was uh, definitely a crusher. But uh, I love uh, the coverage you guys have, and uh, thanks so much for taking my call. Thanks, Mark. Yeah, yeah. Thank, thank you. you. Yeah. You know, so you know, you know, the, the one time. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Russ. Oh no! I, I, you go ahead. I was just gonna babble. No, I was just going to say, I, you know, the I've seen Monmouth and bits and pieces this year. The one game that I watched almost, I think I watched all the way through, was that a Memphis game. And it, it was exciting. And after that game, you know, I don't know if I was just kind of swayed. Uh, Justin Robinson is so fun to watch. That guy can make a shot from anywhere. Uh, uh, Jalon Hornbeek was just, um, I, he, he had a ton of threes in that game. And he was just on fire. And at that point, I remember thinking, like, this is a team that's going to take a lot for me to have them knock out of my ranking just because, um their their potential just to be exciting is so high. Um so it'd be it'd be a lot of fun to to watch them in the tournament this year. So I'm I'm certainly pulling for them just from an excitement standpoint. Yeah, and you know what, if they win the Mac tournament, this that large conversation is irrelevant because they're in anyway. Um and yeah. you know, they are clearly the best team in the Mac. All they have to do is prove it up in Albany next month and all of a sudden they're sitting pretty on selection Sunday knowing that they're going somewhere. Justin Robinson has like the face of the first week of the first weekend of the tournament written all over him, right? See this year's Thomas Walker. Oh yeah. Absolutely. There's something great about just short guards that just get buckets. Like him and uh, Keon Johnson for Winthrop. I love those dudes. Marcus Keon. Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> I love the conversation yeah, we had in Slack about Marcus Keen um, and how we knew right away he would compare himself to Isaiah Thomas. Oh, that was, that was probably the easiest question that we've ever put in our <laughs> Conversation. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, we'll plug this by very good story on Marcus Keen is up there. You should check it out. 
and, and it's kind of interesting because uh, um, Isaiah Thomas was on the Vertical podcast um, a couple weeks ago, and, and, and he was talking about how Allen Iverson was always the guy he looked up to, and he idolizes him, and yeah. you just hear his voice. And then now it's just interesting because there's a whole a generation now that's going to feel that way about Isaiah Thomas. He's obviously not the, the transcendent player yet that Iverson was, but, I mean, for, for small guards, he's – the way, the way he's playing in the fourth quarter lately, it's, he's reaching that, oh, he's, that status. He's been incredible lately. I think he won Eastern Conference Player of the Month for January. Yeah, he's awesome. Short um, guys are, in fact, better than tall guys. That's very true. Uh, I will... I know we have a bunch of uh, New Mexico State fans eagerly waiting uh, for us to just shut up and play this interview with their head coach. So I think we should do that. Um, runs about 15 minutes. I talked to Paul Weir uh, yesterday. Uh, quick word of warning on this. Um, my connection wasn't the best. The good news is that where there is a disruption, um, it's pretty much only in what I'm saying. So you can hear him clearly, and it, you're not missing much from me. Um, and just because technology is weird, there's a point where you see it cut out about 10 seconds of talking, and again, it was all me. Uh, it comes back in where he's talking about uh, fellow WAC team uh, Bakersfield. So I guess we'll shut up, we'll play it. Uh, I'll let you guys listen to it because I can't stand hearing my own voice. Um, and we'll be back in a few minutes. Just listen to uh, my conversation with Paul Weir, head coach at New Mexico State. I'll start with you. I know you spent uh, nine seasons as an assistant, uh, now the head coach at the Division One level, New Mexico State. What's been the biggest challenge in that transition for you? Wow, I wish that was a short answer. Um, there's been a there's been a lot of different layers and and even levels to it along the way. There's obviously that initial phase of becoming a head coach in the off season, um, you know, in April May and and working towards getting ready for the season. And once the season begins, obviously the myriad of challenges that kind of come with that. So um, it, it's it's a very complicated answer. Um, off the top, I can tell you that it's been a very big change for me with regards to time management. You know, as an assistant coach, I was really responsible for recruiting and scouting and kind of coaching our defense. And I, I took a lot of pride in being great at those things and kind of organized my day um, by prioritizing those things. But once you become a head coach, you're basically responsible for every facet of the organization. So just kind of spreading my time around a lot of different areas and trying to figure out what exactly I want to prioritize on a day-to-day basis is probably my biggest challenge as a leader. All right, well, you know, for, for those listening who maybe don't know, I mean, you're 21-2. and two, You guys have won 19 great games, haven't lost in conference, haven't lost at home. So things are going pretty well, at least so far. What uh, catch up on what made you guys so successful so far this year? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I think a lot of things go into success. It's, it's hard to just say, 
um, any one or two variables directly led to, to winning or, or even losing. I think it's always a combination of things. For us, it was a unique situation when I had the job. Uh, our best player was debating whether he was going to go to the NBA or not. We kind of waited and let him go through that process. He chose to go to the NBA. He's a first-round pick. He's started for the Toronto Raptors and had an amazing season and experience for him and really for us as well. But when we lost that kind of productivity on the court and, and, and role kind of within our team, we knew we were going to have to make some changes and really just kind of embodied of, of, of kind of doing it together and doing it as a team as opposed to bringing in one guy to replace him or do it with a certain thing. We decided to kind of do it collectively as a group and just, like I said, you know, just embody a sense of teamwork and unselfishness and just worked really hard. And it's a little cliche to just kind of say that that's the reason for our success, but I do think a lot of guys around our team and around our program would kind of say that our sense of work ethic and togetherness and just the team philosophy we've embraced, not only off the court but on the court as well, has led us to be maybe a team that is better than what a lot of people thought it would be based on who we ended up losing. Right, and you know, you, you talk about team philosophy on the court. Um, something that Greg, uh, my co-editor, covers the WAC, has told me that he's been hearing that you guys are playing a lot faster than I think a lot of people expected you to. Um, is, is that the case? I'm just wondering what led to that. Yeah, I mean, part of it was we, we had a very slow pace last year, um, and we've had a slow pace, particularly offensively. Um, and we just felt that we have really good depth and that we the only way to utilize our depth would be to increase the possession count in a game or at least increase the tempo of the game. And our, our tempo on defense does not seem very high because the possessions are so long, but they're that way by design because we do press full court pretty much entire game and really try and extend those possessions and make them long and then try and play fast offensively and really hurt you on the offensive glass. So we've kind of played a tempo that's lent itself to playing a lot of players and utilizing our depth and utilizing basically the conditioning and and all the training we've done to kind of prepare ourselves for this style and to kind of beat other teams as a team as opposed to saying we like this matchup or we like that matchup or we like a certain thing that maybe we've that's how we've done it in the past or maybe that's how other teams do it. We've just kind of decided to say, you know what, like let's just make it about our whole team against their whole team and hope that ours happens to be better, even if that happens to be four through nine or four through eight, let's just make sure that that's enough to give our the best chance to win. Right. And it, you know, with, with a team that does like the press full court, that um, does so really deep into the you, you don't always expect them to also have a major strength in the front court as well, but you guys do. Um, Eli Chua has improved a lot, at least numbers-wise, from last year. Um, what led to his improvement, and was that something you were expecting to see from him? Yeah, I mean, I think like we developed our defense and our defensive philosophy, we also developed an offensive philosophy, which was going to be very team-oriented. And we play a, an offense where everyone on the team gets to touch the ball, 
and it's, it's, it's constantly moving, and we're constantly moving, and we're trying to wear you down on that end as much as we are on the defensive end. And uh, in playing that way, it's really allowed a lot of guys who played subsidiary roles in the past to kind of emerge a little bit this year for us. So, you know, Eli Chu has had a very good offensive year. Braxton Huggins has had a very good offensive year. Sitting the deer was having a very good offensive year before he got hurt. Um, Jamario Jones, a new kid we got in, he's having a good offensive year. So we've got a lot of guys come in that maybe people weren't expecting to have good offensive years or maybe didn't have a good one in years past that have really kind of blossomed. And it's really nothing other than the fact that each night we almost kind of have a different guy stepping up. We have several guys that, you know, average double figures or, or close to it. And we don't go into a game necessarily saying, it's going to be so-and-so's night tonight or so-and-so's night tonight or we're going to go at this guy or we're going to go at that guy. We really make it about the team, see how they're guarding us, and kind of see whose night's going to kind of unfold that way as opposed to us trying to kind of predetermine it. And it's really allowed a lot of those guys to just be comfortable, get into a good rhythm and a good groove offensively, and just let the chips fall where they may. None of them are really selfish to the point where they want it to be their night tonight. We just kind of let the defense on the other end kind of unfold, and then we react and kind of call things accordingly. Yeah, and, you know, that it's actually something that I've noticed looking up and down your roster and the kinds of numbers that your guys put up. They all sort of have that uh, star potential on a given night. Uh, one guy that I did want to ask you about was Jamario uh, Jones, uh, Juco yep. transfer putting up numbers across the board. Just wondering what role he has played for you guys. Yeah, you know, he's a very uh, – he's kind of like a, a, a skilled forward, kind of like a point forward kind of player, very very good with the ball, completed in transition, uh, terrific passer, uh, great IQ, tremendous offensive rebounder. He really kind of rounds us out offensively very well. We have some good shooters. Uh, we have some good rebounders. We have a lot of different kind of pieces, but I don't know how well it would fit without him because he just kind of ties a lot of it together. He's kind of like a really good offensive glue guy for us, so he's really helped us on the offensive end. Yeah, and he's also one of those guys that Ken Tom tends to really like. Um, And I know that you look at advanced staff analytics a lot. Um, What has that angle talk to you about your team and how, how has that affected your coaching? We spend a lot of time on it. We spend a lot of time on it as a staff and, and we spend a lot of time on, on it as a team. Um, you know, obviously we have some things analytically that we're doing really, really well and then there's some other elements uh, from a metric standpoint that we have to improve on and that's really how we've kind of guided um, our team this season is just kind of looking at the areas we've been struggling in analytically and trying to improve on them as best we can, and then obviously enhancing your strengths as much as possible. So, you know, there's one thing that you may think after watching your team play or getting a feel for things, but, you know, to go look at the numbers sometimes, it gives you a different set of variables to think about, you know, just the different parts of the game that are that are impacting your team. So, um, you know, we've we've used that quite a bit this year on a lot of different levels, both as a team and then individually with our lineups as well. All right. And one of the which staff do you look at do you place more of an importance on? 
Uh, well, I mean, we look at all of them and, and really just kind of look for, for kind of like your outliers to an extent, you know. So I think, you know, we, we have some stats right now that we've kind of struggled in that we, we've spent a lot of time on trying to fix or at least improve um, just ones that, that are, are at least statistically um, really hurting your chances of winning. And, and, our, and, our, and our team goals, our, our daily goals, our game goals, our, our player stats, the stats to go up the conference is just one that presents the greatest challenge to you guys and wondering if, it, if there's anyone else uh, defending champs. So, you know, they deserve all the respect that, that, they, that they get um, and should get the rest of the way. They, they fought a top 25 defense in the country, and they do a very good job at that end of the floor. Um, Grand Canyon obviously gets a lot of notoriety in our league. Um, and, and nationally for kind of what they've created there as a program. So they're another team that's very dangerous. Utah Valley, who we just played, um, had a really good win over BYU in the preseason and are a very capable team just because of the volume and, and, and three-point shooting that they bring to the table. Um, so they're very capable. And really, in Division One basketball, as you can see, Every week, everyone's capable of beating anyone on any given night. You know, it really just comes down to our team being the best we can be on that night and trying to eliminate um, any chance of, of someone beating us that, that's not supposed to. Right. You, you talked about Bakersfield being the defending conference champions. Uh, I know maybe a lot of people, their first introduction to New Mexico State might have been that championship game last year. I know you guys lost. Buzzer, is that something that stays in your mind or in the mind of the team this year? Um, uh, to an extent, uh, I think it. I think it drove some guys a little bit this off season. You know, we talked a little bit about it before we played them last time. But you know, at the end of the day, this is a new team uh, with a new coach, uh, several new players, a new style of play, and some of that stuff. Um, helps, I, I would say, but at the end of the day, when, when the ball goes up, it, you know, the best team is going to win on that night, and we just have to make sure we've done everything we can to make this team the best it can be for that for that next game. Uh, and if that happens to be Bakersfield, then we've just got to do what we can do to beat Bakersfield. And I don't know if a game, you know, 10 or 11 months prior is really going to play that big of an impact on the outcome. Right. Now, I know you guys play again on Saturday. You're playing Chicago State at home. Um, for anyone who might be listening who hasn't seen uh, New Mexico State play yet, what is something maybe that you haven't mentioned that you should expect to see uh, from your group? I mean, I think offensively it's a team that really shares the ball, uh, plays unselfish. We're, we're, we're a very efficient offensive team so far. Uh, hopefully that will continue. Um, and then defensively, we, we still have a, a ways to go. We're, a, we're an undersized team, so we really have to work hard to protect the backboard um, and potentially stay out of foul trouble. But as long as we do that um, and we give our offense kind of some time and some, some possessions to kind of get into a bit of a groove, I think we're just kind of a fun, underdog, team-oriented uh, team to watch. And that's really all we've tried to be since the fall. And I'm just really glad that we've had some success doing it. I, I didn't, I don't, I didn't go into the season thinking, or, or not thinking. I didn't go into the season knowing that the path we chose was was definitely going to work. I just felt it was the best 
it was the most optimal path we could take to give this team the best chance it could to win. And I'm glad that we've had success so far. We just have to find a way to kind of continue to improve and grow the rest of the way, and, and hopefully the finish the season will finish strong. All right, Coach. Well, I want to thank you so much uh, for talking with us, and uh, good luck on Saturday, and good luck uh, the rest of the season. Thanks so much, man. I appreciate it. I'll start with you. I know. All right. That again was New Mexico State head coach Paul Weir. Um, again, sorry for the technical glitch uh, midway through, where for some reason. Uh, some of the audio just disappeared into nothing, but I think he got the he got the gist of what he was saying. New Mexico State again, twenty-one and two, uh, haven't lost since the opening weeks of the season. Greg, I know you cover the WAC pretty extensively with your amazing WAC Wednesday coverage, so you know a little bit about New Mexico State. Um, just wondering what your impressions were. Um, from what Coach Weir had to say or from what you've seen from the Aggies in general? No, I think, you know, they're very good, um, especially for their league. Um, Ian Baker, who is their senior point guard, um, he's, he's kind of been, you know, in a team, as, as uh, Coach Weir said, that, that has um, a lot of players that can step up on a given night whether it's Eli Chua or Braxton Huggins, uh, Mario Jones, uh, Sidney Nadir when he's healthy. Uh, Baker's kind of been that just consistent, um, always there, always performing. Uh, he kind of had, had a rough start to the season, but but since then he's certainly been the glue. Um, and he's he's played on some very good Mexico State teams here you know, over the past four years. Um, you know, from, from what I've seen, I saw uh, Bakersfield live, Last weekend, um, they have a, a reputation throughout the league as being a team that just plays really, really hard. Um, they're very good defensively. And it's a team that certainly, especially if you're playing them the day after you've already played a game, um, it, it'd be a hard team to play. So I, I assume that will be the matchup in the uh, title game in Las Vegas, um, and they're a team that's uh, capable of, of knocking off Mexico State. They played them well in Las uh, Cruces already this year. Um, and, you know, I did find it interesting that he only mentioned three other teams um, when you asked him about the conference, and, and, you know, I would certainly agree that those are the three teams, Utah Valley as a long shot, uh, Grand Canyon as a long shot, and then Bakersfield um, as the most likely that would have a chance to knock them off. And Utah Valley did play them, you know, very well last weekend. Um, they actually had a four-point lead with just just over uh, two minutes left, and it was Ian, Ian uh, uh, Baker. He had a couple nice assists, um, a field goal, and a couple free throws there in the last few minutes, fueled a 9-0 run, Aggies won. So it's kind of like illustrative of what he's meant to that team. Um, the question I would have for you guys is, should they go undefeated the rest of the, of the regular season and then win – Oh, we're doing that. In the, West, in the tournament, yep, yep. And then lose the WAC title. They would be – they would have a 29 wins and three losses. Their best wins would be Arizona State and New Mexico. Is that a team – I don't think they would get in. I don't think there's a shot they'd get in. But 
is that a team that at least then there is a discussion about? I I would say they don't get in through no fault of their own. Okay. Um, of course, other than the fact that they lost in their conference tournament. I mean, you just – the WAC is a one-bit league. I mean, that's a conference that's really – Struggling to get any credit whatsoever, and you you look at don't, don't tell Grand Canyon that don't tell Grand Canyon that they they've got uh, this whole top twenty five thing on the mind here. I know, not this year. Obviously. I know, but <laughs> but like you, you look at their schedule outside of the whack, you know they they've beaten two non D ones, Bethune Cookman, Nickel State. Sorry, three non D ones plus. Those guys and UTEP who's terrible twice. I mean, if their best win is home against the New Mexico team that's not even top 100, you just can't. Um, and again, it, it's a shame because they are a really good team. Um, but yeah, they they need to win the WAC term. The WAC is never going to be a two bid league. Yeah, and it's you know it certainly would be a shame because they are, I would be really interested to see where you know if they do get in, which I think they will. Um, obviously, not at large. I, I think they'll win the tournament because I think they're that good. Um, they would have. I, I'd be interested to see where they got seated, um, because I could see that being a fourteen or a fifteen. I, I can't imagine they'd be a fifteen. But, you know, a 13 or a 14, that is a really hard draw, you know, on the first, uh, on the first day of the tournament. I mean, that, it, it'd be a team that has size up front, which is not something you see. But, I mean, a lot of people have size, but size that can actually play. Um, it'd be a really hard draw. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. If they make the NCAA tournament, I don't envy the team that draws them. Um, in the first round. They're going to be better than a 16 or a 15 just because there are other terrible teams that will make it. Like winner of the MEAC, winner of the SWAC, winner of the Northeast Conference are all probably 16 seeds. Um, Big West, Big South, Southland, all very bad conferences. So the 15 and 16 seeds will be filled by those schools, plus maybe someone from like, I don't know if there's an upset in the MAC or the Horizon League or something. Um, but yeah, I mean, they, they could be a pretty good 13 seed that you would pick against, you know, a, a four seed that's maybe from a Power Five conference that had a good, not great year. Um, yeah, I mean, they. If, if they won a game in the NCAA tournament, I don't think any of us would be surprised. No, WAC Wednesday would have a party. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, now, as has become tradition here on this podcast, we reward the, I don't know, maybe two of you who are still listening to this with a trivia question. And, uh, Chris, I know you have one, so. Fire away. All right, so a big 
topic of discussion for us lately has been Gonzaga and their worthiness of a top seed or top ranking, whatever. And, you know, people come up with the argument, oh, they've never made the Final Four, blah, blah, blah. So tonight's trivia question, based off of our definition of mid-majors, i.e. non-Power 5, um, Big East, and AAC, whatever, who is the last mid-major school to make it to the Final Four as a one seed? I'll accept two answers to this one. All right, say that again. Last to make it to the Final Four as a one seed. Um, oh, boy, that's a, great, that's a great question. Oh, I, I think the reason kind why of you're accepting too. two answers is because one of them is Memphis in 2008. Well, I mean, well, if you want to count them as a mid-major then or now. Well, I, they, I they were Conference since, USA then. Yeah. Other than Other than that one. Right. We won't count that. My so first there, reaction. There oh, sorry. My so, my first reaction, and I'm just gonna I'll blurt it out because it came up. Is it is it UNLV? That's one of them. In a what was it? Ninety one. The year after they uh, won it all. Okay. There's one more recent than that. Okay. One more in between that and Memphis or whatever. Ninety-one to present. Oh boy. Can you give us if we can? Is a is a hint on the table at least as to general geography? Oh, I got it. I think I got it. Nope, Russ has got it. Is it UMass? It is the 1996 Ooh, yeah, Marcus Camby that I was going to say technically since it got vacated or whatever that UNLV would have been the most recent, but we can still give it to the Minutemen. See, Russ, you said something kind of depressing about UMass, and now you just remind them about their history and you make them happy. Yeah, but I'll say something depressing again and say that technically that never happened. Didn't happen. No, you can't. You can't take away memories. You can't vacate. You can't vacate memories. True. And then their coach left and has gone on to be wildly successful. What was that? I said, and then their coach left and went on to become wildly successful. Yeah, I think I've heard. I've heard his name once or twice since then. Yeah, I heard he actually has a a podcast. I wonder if it's he's like to come on our podcast to discuss his podcast. We should, we should, I mean, he is a former mid-major coach. It it would make make sense, right? Yeah. I mean, he's probably a pretty busy guy. I would assume he's got a lot on his plate. Not not so much he can't can't podcast. Not so much he can't podcast. I would definitely come on his podcast if he asked me. So, John Calipari, I know you're listening. I know you love this podcast. Please have me on. <laughs> of course, he, he has to listen to this. Of course he does. Hey, maybe he gets New Mexico State in the second round somehow, and he just heard something in that discussion that helps Kentucky get yeah. the edge over New Mexico State. You never, you never know. It's 
there is a non-zero chance that that happens. Non-zero. Yes. All right. Um, I think we've been going on for a little bit uh, longer than we hoped, but that's okay. Uh, any final thoughts before I uh, hastily sign off for us? I know you guys One are operating at a disadvantage. Oh, that is true. I was going to say, I know you guys are operating at a disadvantage here because you're on Eastern Time. Indianapolis says Eastern Time. Is that right, Chris? Am I right on that? Correct. Okay. Russ wasn't aware of that until briefly before yeah. the podcast. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, well, there you go. We were starting at eight. So, I w- you know, this is I am very excited for this game here at Gonzaga BYU starting in what fifty one minutes. So, um, being on Central Time, I will take it upon myself to try to stay up for this game. So I can certainly understand how it'd be a little bit harder for you guys. Uh, I'll, I'll try. I'm not making any statements. <laughs> oh yeah, college students are good at that. Yeah. All right. I, yeah. All right. Well then, you go do your homework or whatever it is the college students do <laughs> before Gonzaga plays. Yeah, um, that's what we call it nowadays. <laughs> All right. Well. For Greg and for Chris, I am Russ. Thank you so much for listening to the Mid-Major Madness podcast. And, of course, thank you again to New Mexico State head coach Paul Weir for coming on and talking to us. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll do another one of these hopefully a little bit uh, sooner. Next time, until then, you could keep up with everything that we're doing on our site, Mid-Major Madness. Again, thank you so much for listening, and have a good night.